0: Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Oklahoma has a few natural phenomena that happen in our midst, right? Um, You know, just in this last year, we've had a blizzard uh, back in, in February, a couple of those, um, we've had tornadoes, we've had massive hailstorms. Um, and now we can go ahead and add earthquake to that list. Um, did everybody feel that last night? Uh, that was, was pretty remarkable to feel that. I mean, you know, it's, it's almost like if we had a, a menu of various natural phenomena for the year, we just scratched in all of the above. You know, and, and we've just kind of had all those things going on, but you know, it's been quite a year around uh, around these parts regarding natural phenomena, and one of those big events happened last June, and it was a very big thunderstorm that produced a lot of hail. I don't know if you remember that. It was like June the 14th, and when I say that, you're probably nodding because I'm guessing, though I won't ask a show of hands, some of you in this room have a new roof on your house or new seals on your windows or new dents removed from your car uh, because of that storm. And it was a huge thunderstorm, and it actually kind of broke right over the middle of Norman and directly had an impact on Wildwood Community Church. And I, I know that because I was up here that night uh, meeting with some folks when that, when that storm hit and blew through. And uh, while I was up here, um, back at my house, my, my dog was there by himself, uh, Kimberly and Josh had had gone to uh, Bartlesville for that week, and so uh, we were. I was I was here, and and my dog was in the backyard back home. And, and those of you who've been around Wildwood for a while know that uh, Kimberly and I have this this beagle named Rocky. Uh, and if you also know us and you know this dog very well, you know that he is not the best behaved dog you will ever find. Um, this is a dog that's got some issues, and. Um, one of his issues for a long time in his life is that, that he was an escape artist. I mean, this, this dog was part Harry Houdini. Uh, give him any opportunity, and he was breaking out of something. Um, I remember when he was a little puppy, we, we put him in our kitchen and we put these barricades up to keep him in the kitchen. And we left and it was around Christmas time. And I remember that because sometime while we were gone, he hopped the barricade. We have no idea at this point exactly how he did that. And he, he we just had the run of the house and he knocked ornaments off the tree and he chewed up stuff. But when we came home, he had hopped back over the barricade as if to say, what? I did nothing. I didn't I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, what, are you, what Are you kidding me? I could get out of here? I mean, he was Harry Houdini. He could get out of Anything. Um, the door would be cracked just a little bit and Rocky was gone. I mean, this is this is what would happen. You could put him in a backyard and he could expose the weakness and the chain link fence better than any animal I've ever seen. I mean, he was just very good. He was he was he was a he was a runner in that regard. Um, and so as I'm driving home, I know this big storm has hit, and I'm thinking, you know, our fence is not in great shape, and I'm thinking. He's gone, and I'm going to have to go chase him. And so I'm, I'm driving home, and I pull onto our street, and, and the lights are shining down the street, and the, the power is out. And I'm thinking, what am I going to find when I get there? And I get to the driveway, and I turn into the driveway, and sure enough, the gate is blown wide open, and the fence is open. And I'm thinking, where am I going to find my dog? And I turn, and I look, and they're sitting in the middle of our yard, wagging his tail is my dog Rocky. And I open the door of my car and he goes bolting in and jumps in and he was so happy to see me. And some of you might think that he was just traumatized from the hail and the wind, but I prefer to think that he just loved me that much, uh, that, that he could not wait for me to get home so that he, we could rejoin this fellowship. Um, and you know, I think that it, though it's, it's, it's kind of funny and maybe it's a little overly flattering to myself to say that, I do think it's possible that what had happened in this dog's life was when he was younger, he thought there might be something good out there. But after 11 years of living in our house, he realized he's got it pretty good. He's got two squares a day. He's got a roof over his head most of the time. Uh, he's got some soft things to lay on, and it's, it's warm in the winter, and it's cool in the summer. Uh, he knows he's got a pretty good thing. And so the, the love of our dog um, held out, and even when the fence was gone, he stayed waiting for our return. Now, I tell you that, that whole long story today to set up what we're going to see today in Romans chapter 12. Because in Romans chapter 12, the Apostle Paul, who is writing this theological treatise to the church in Rome, uh, in Romans 12, he makes a transition. And after, not 11 years, but after 11 chapters of describing the love that God has for us, after 11 chapters of describing just how much God has done for us in sacrificing His Son so that we could be forgiven and so that we could have a relationship with Him, after 11 chapters of declaring the mercies of God, Paul makes a transition. He has an incredibly big therefore at the beginning of chapter 12. And as he makes this, therefore, he's saying, on the you know because God is gracious, because God is merciful, because God has worked in your life in such a way, therefore I'm going to call you to certain actions." And Paul makes that transition in Romans 12. And what's fascinating to me as he makes that transition, he makes the transition, calling us. To respond to God in a certain way, not on the basis of fear of others, not on the basis of even fear of Him, but He calls us to respond in a certain way because God has been merciful to us. You know, for much of our lives, we've been dogs that have been tough to keep on the porch, Spiritually speaking, we've had hearts that have been prone to wander away from Him. We've had desires that have run counter to the will of God. But in Romans 12, we see that our call to respond to God in faith is a call not to erect a fence to keep us in, but it's a call to remember the love that our God has for us so that we might run into His car. And be with him, and we're going to see that today from Romans 12. and And what we're going to see today, as we begin this series that we're calling "Therefore," we're going to see three things today from Romans chapter 12, verses one and two. So, if you got a Bible, open up to Romans 12, verses one and two. We're going to camp out there as we see three things this morning. Now, I think this is a particularly relevant section for us to look at because over the last several weeks. Our teaching pastor, Bruce Hess, has been walking us through um, a series on God's amazing grace. Uh, Just as Paul walks through in the first 11 chapters of Romans, statements about the greatness of God and His mercy and His grace towards us, we've been doing the same thing here at Wildwood through this series on amazing grace. And and, and as, as we finish that series and look to what's next, I think it's appropriate for us to ask the therefore question. Because we have a God who is amazingly graceful, therefore what for you and me? Let's take a look at how Paul answers that question in the book of Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. We're going to see three things. I'm just going to begin by reading the verses for us before we begin to unpack them. Romans 12, beginning in verse 1, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, in those two verses, I said we're going to see three things. And the first thing that we're going to see is this. We are to be wooed by the sweetness of God's grace. We are to be wooed by the sweetness of God's grace. And, and we see that as Paul begins in the very first part of Romans 12.1. See, in, in Romans 12, Paul begins, as we've noted, with this therefore. Therefore, because God is merciful, therefore, because He has worked to save us, therefore, because all these things… I'm, God, Paul is saying, I'm going to call you to respond in a certain way to God. But before we get that, I'm going to give you the rationale by which you should respond to Him. He says, the reason why we should respond in a certain way to God is because He is merciful to us. He says, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. You know, how is it that we are often called into a life of obedience. Many times we're called into a life of obedience based on on various things. Sometimes we're called into a life of obedience because of duty. You should do this. Sometimes we're called into a life of obedience because of a fear of others. You should do this because you're going to want other people to think that you're a certain way. We're called into a certain level of obedience sometimes out of a fear of God. You should do this so that God will accept you. There's a lot of different ways in which sometimes we're we're called into obedience. But as Paul makes this major transition in the book of Romans, he makes a call for us to obey, not on the basis of our fear of others, not on the basis of just mere duty, He makes a call for us to obey as a response to the mercy of God that has been extended to us. Because God is merciful, because God is gracious, because God has loved us, our hearts should be moved, our affections should be affected so that we should choose, so that we should want to be with Him and to follow Him. Well, what are some of the ways in which these mercies of God have been Uh, manifest to us. Uh, Paul goes through many of them in the book of Romans. I I just want to highlight several of them by by mentioning some, some quotes of famous verses in the book. The first one is from Romans chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. He says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. See, one of the ways in which the mercy of God has been shown to us is that though we are sinful people, Christ has come to die in our place so that we might have life. We have been justified, we have been made righteous because of the work of Christ, not, a, not because of our works, not because we've impressed God, but because of what God has done for us in Christ. And in this way, God's mercy towards us is revealed. Uh, Romans chapter 5 and verse 1 says it this way. It says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, one of the ways in which the mercy of God is shown to us is not just that God's anger or wrath was satisfied in Christ so that we might be declared righteous, but we have a real relationship with Him. We have peace in our relationship with God, not again because we're so good, but because God is so good. God has established a steady ground for us to have a relationship with Him. He's made peace, and because of that, His mercy and grace towards us is evident. Uh, Romans chapter 6 and verse 6 says this, says, We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. God's mercy is shown to us and that the body of sin, all that is within us that is worthy of God's wrath and judgment was nailed to the cross with Christ and done away with so that we have a choice now of not being enslaved by sin any longer. The mercy of God is shown to us in this way. Uh, Chapter 8 is full of statements about God's mercy to us. Uh, Romans 8, 1 says it this way, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It doesn't say there is now not very much condemnation. It says there is no condemnation, that we have a security in our relationship with God because all of His wrath toward our sin has been satisfied. Romans chapter 8, verse 11, if the spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. The mercy of God is revealed to us and that God's Spirit has come to reside within us to empower us to live the life that God has called us to. The mercy of God is revealed to us. Uh, Romans chapter 8, Verses 38 and 39 says this. "He says, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We have security in our relationship with Him. You see, when Paul writes to a group of Christians and he wants to appeal to them to live their life in a certain way. He makes that appeal not on the basis of what they should do, but he makes that appeal on the basis of what God has done in Christ. Establishing a secure relationship between mankind and God on the basis of what Christ has done. That, that the wrath of God towards us might be satisfied, that we might have peace with Him, and that we might have confidence today, tomorrow, and every day in the future that our relationship with Him is secure. And Paul writes and says, I-, I want you to remember the mercies of God and have that woo your affections so that you might cling to Him. Of this passage, John Calvin says this, it says, Paul, however, in order to bind us to God, not by servile fear but by a voluntary and cheerful love of righteousness attracts us by the sweetness of that grace in which our salvation consists. I love that phrase. The sweetness of his grace. God beckons us towards him, wooing us by the love that he has extended. See, we respond to God, not because we have to, but because of who He is and what He has done and how He loves us. Uh, Thomas Erskine has said this of the passage. He says, in the New Testament, religion is grace and ethics is gratitude. You see, our call to respond, the therefore to the mercies of God, is not just out of duty, but it's out of what God has done and what he has offered to us, it's it's a it's a response of gratitude. It's a get-to because of what Christ has done for us. And you know when you think about this, this makes some sense. You know think about your life for a moment. think about the the time when you first trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Now I think about that time for me. Some of you have heard me tell that story before, but uh, it was on an Easter Sunday, and, and at a church service, I trusted in Christ, and, and everything had, had gained incredible clarity at that moment. Um, I was so fired up, I couldn't believe that, that, that my sins could be forgiven, that I could have this relationship with God, and I remember going to Mazio's Pizza after that, and sitting across the table from some friends, and they didn't know what had happened in my life, and I, I just wanted to tell somebody, I wanted to go to go read more about this, I wanted to talk to somebody, I was just fired up. I was blown away by the grace of God towards me that that I wanted to be with Him. My my response at that moment was not to think about all of the sin that I could plan to commit. I had been wooed by the grace and the mercy of God, and all I could think about was following Him. Like my dog in the front yard, I I just wanted to run and jump into His arms. And at the point that you trusted in Christ, I would, I would hazard to guess that that is what was happening in your life as well, that when you caught this picture of the grace and the mercy of God, you wanted to be with Him, not repel Him, because His grace woos us closer to Him, the sweetness of His grace and mercy. Same thing happened last week. As we saw these 17 baptisms and, and these baptism testimonies and, and heard about the grace of God that, would, that forgives you know, children and, and youth and, and adults and, and the power that God has in our lives, as I'm down in the, in the baptismal tank downstairs, I'm not thinking about you know, my next opportunity to sin. I'm not thinking about my next opportunity to leave God behind. My heart is stirred and wooed, and I want to be with the Savior who is saving my friends. I want to be with Him. And you know what? That is what Paul is, is, is imploring us. He's saying, your response to God in Christ is not about what you should do. But it's about what we get to do with Him based on what He has already done. Our hearts are affected and impacted by the mercy and the grace of God. I don't know when the last time was that that you just stopped and and thought about that, but one of the great motivators for us to live the life that God has called us to is just to reflect on all that God has done for us. Well, Paul, after saying that he's making this appeal on the basis of the mercies of God, uh, makes the appeal, and he calls believers to a certain action. And that action is laid out for us in our second point, and that is that we are to present our life to Him. Present our life to Him. This is what we're called to do. Look at what it says. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. What we're called to do is to present our bodies to him, and he says that this is our spiritual worship. Now, translators have had a difficulty with that phrase "spiritual worship," uh, trying to figure out what what really did Paul have in mind when he talked about um, this, this spiritual worship. And when we read that in English, we think about this is you know our opportunity to worship God and you know from from the inside out and those kinds of things. Um, but but the actual Greek word that is here translated spiritual is the word for logical or rational. And I really think what Paul is intending as he, as he says this is he's saying, in light of God's mercy, in light of His grace, present your bodies and your whole lives to Him because that is the rational thing to do. And by rational, I don't mean that it's rational by some world standard of rational, that anybody can figure this out. But I mean, for those who are brothers and sisters in Christ, for those who have experienced the mercies of God, the the natural response is that we would lay down our whole lives before Him. And why is that the natural thing to do? Well, think about it this way. Imagine that tomorrow you go to the doctor and you find out that you have a very serious form of liver cancer. And let's just imagine for for a moment that when you hear this, you know nothing about liver cancer. You've never read anything about it. You've never heard anything about it, but, but you know it's serious and you know it needs immediate attention. And let's just imagine that there is someone in your life that you know loves you and cares for you and has your best interest at stake. I don't know who that would be for you, but some for some it might be a parent, for some it might be a spouse, for some it might be a good friend. But, but imagine someone who, who you know has your best interest at heart. And let's just imagine that that person that you know loves you and, and cares for you also just so happens to be the leading expert in the world on the treatment of liver cancer. I mean, they wrote the book on liver cancer. Every treatment plan has come through them. They're the leading expert. People come from all over the world to this friend of yours, this family member of yours to receive treatment for this disease. You know nothing about it, but you know that it's serious. And you know that this person loves you and cares for you and has your best interests at stake, and they also have all of the knowledge in the world on this topic. What is the logical, rational thing for you to do? It's to go and to take your life and to lay it in their hands and say, I don't know about this, but you do. Help me make the right decisions so that I might experience some healing. In a very similar way, Paul is saying that in light of our human condition, and in light of the fact that we have need of direction and wisdom and knowledge and, and, and obedience and all of these things, does it not make the rational sense to go to the feet of the one that you know loves you and cares for you and who is the author of life and knows the answer to every question you would ever ask? Is it not the rational, logical thing to do to go before him and to lay all of your life down at his feet? and say, Wh- whatever whatever you want to do, do it. See, that's the condition that all of us find ourselves in. In light of the mercy of God, in light of His grace, the appropriate response, the rational, reasonable thing to do is for us to present our bodies as a sacrifice to Him. Now, when... When Paul makes this statement that we are to present our bodies as a sacrifice to him, he very intentionally used the word bodies. I don't think it was an accident. I think the reason why Paul did it was uh, tied to the Roman world to which he was writing. See, the Roman world in the first century, uh, not totally unlike our world today, was very influenced by the thinking of the philosopher Plato. And, and Plato and his followers had a, a slogan or a saying uh, about the human body. They called the body a tomb. They said, the body is a tomb that imprisoned our spirit. What, 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 that, what that phrase meant was there really was nothing good about this body, that, that all of, of the, the really good stuff about our life was all on the inside. And so, our obedience… And, and our, our morality was was not as important in what we did as much as what we thought. And so there was this great distinction by Plato and by followers in that time uh, that said the body is not that important, but our mind is. And it's to this world that Paul writes, and he says, if you're going to present yourself, which is the logical, rational thing for you to do in light of the mercies of God, I want you to present your whole body to Him. I think what Paul was saying was, present every piece of your life to the Lord. Not just your thought life and and not just that which is unseen about you, but present everything, the things that are seen, the things that you wear, the things that you do, the places that you work. Take everything that you are, your your family life, and, and present it as a sacrifice to the Lord, this is the the rational, reasonable, logical thing to do because we need help, and He loves us and knows the answers. And so we are to lay our lives out before Him as a sacrifice. And and sacrifice was something that has been a part of the worship of God from the very beginning. In the in the Old Testament time, uh, there were a number of sacrifices that people would make to God. There were burnt offerings and. And there were, there were sacrifices of animals and there were all these kinds of grain offerings of Thanksgiving and all these, sa- all these offerings that, that were and sacrifices that were made. But in this New Testament time, the sacrifice that we're called to make is not to give a part of us, not to give a piece of our possession, but it's to give all of us to Him, to lay everything that we are at His feet. That's the kind of sacrifice that we're supposed to do. And that's a sacrifice that he says various things about. He says that that's a sacrifice that is living. That's a sacrifice that is alive. And this is different from an Old Testament sacrifice that as soon as it was up on the altar, you killed it. But in in our lives, as we offer our life to him, we don't subsequently kill ourselves at that point but we remain alive because as we offer our lives to Him, He gives us life back in return that we might follow Him and obey Him with our lives. He says that this sacrifice is a living sacrifice, but He also says this sacrifice is a holy sacrifice. And the reason why He can make that claim is because this is a command or, or, or an urging that is given to brothers and sisters in Christ. It was given to believers. And believers in Christ have made, have been made holy by the work of Christ. Therefore, we, we lay our lives out before Him, and He allows us to keep living. But as we live, he, he calls us to live as the holy people that we are. And in that way, it's acceptable and pleasing in His sight. See, we the the, the the appropriate response to the mercy of God is to lay all of who we are at his feet. And to ask him, Whatever you want with this Lord. That's the response that he has for now, us. Now, what does that practically mean for us? Well, it means that we should go to him and offer all of our time. We go to him, we say, Lord, whatever you want me to do with my time, I'm laying before you. And, and we're alive, and, and he's going to direct us to various responsibilities, to, to work, and to spend time with family, but but also to serve and, and to various things. But, but we lay down our lives say, Lord, my time is your time. Do whatever you will with my time. Same thing is, is true with, with our talent. We look at the ways that we've been when gifted in our hearts and our, our passion and, and various things, and we say, Lord, this is, this is who I am. This is who you've created me to be. What do you want me to do with all of this? The same thing with our treasure. Lord, you, you have blessed us with, with financial resources and material things, and, and here it is. What do you want me to do with, with all of this, Lord? Our time, our talent, our treasure. It also has to do with, with orientations to time. We go before the Lord and we say, "Lord, here's here's all of my past, things I regret, things I, I wish I could change, abuse that I endured, that I don't understand. What whatever it is, if it's all this stuff. Lord, here here is my past. Then then we go, Lord. Lord, here is my present, the, the circumstances that we deal with. Why am I in this job? Why am I not in that job? Why 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 is our our?" family situation, the way that it is, whatever it might be, our past and our present and our future, our hopes and dreams. There's things that you hope will happen in 2012. There are things that you are worried about how they will unfold in the days and years and months ahead. And what this passage is indicating is that the rational thing for us to do is to take all of that and to lay it before Him. Lord, how many many children will we have? What will be the size of our family? What will be the the vocation that I'll be at when I'm 50? Whatever whatever it is, just lay it out. Our time, our talent, our treasure, our past, our present, our future. Lord, everything that we are, we lay before you. This is the logical thing for us to do in response to the mercy of God. And the question we have to ask each other is, Do you regularly do that? Do you regularly, in light of the mercy of God, come before him and lay out your life and say, Lord, whatever you want to do with this, let it be done. Take my life and let it be. You see, we're called to present our life to him. There's a third thing that I want us to see today from this passage, and that is this. It comes from the second verse here. We are to remember that we are Plato. We are to remember that we are Plato. And and, and I say that fully understanding that may be the strangest thing that anyone has ever said about Romans 12 too. Um, But I, I really, as I read this, I think of this picture of Plato. Look at what it says. It says, do not be conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God, what is good and acceptable, and perfect. And you know what that verse is telling us? It's telling us that, that our lives are very malleable. Our lives are not static; they're very dynamic. That that who we are right now is is constantly under force of being shaped by people, not us. Notice all the verbs in that section are, are not active verbs. They're passive verbs. In other words, we can either be conformed, squeezed into the mold of the world, or we can be transformed through the renewing of our mind in Christ. But but, but it's very clear in the section there in, the, in verse 2 that we are going to be shaped in some direction. And this, this bothers us a little bit. Because we like to think that our lives are fully ours, that, that we are the product of everything uh, that, that we do. Um, it's, it's all about, you know, I, I am what I do, I am what I eat, all those kinds of things. But this, this passage is indicating that our lives are shaped by forces outside of us, and they're being shaped all the time. And so it matters who is doing the shaping. And this is where we're like Plato. I have this little ball of, of orange Play-Doh here, and you can imagine with this little ball, uh, it can be shaped into many different expressions. You know, this, this Play-Doh in my hand, I'm not a very good artist, is probably just going to be a snake. Um, that's, a, that's about all I can design it to be, right? Uh, it, it could be a snake. Uh, but in somebody else's hands, this might turn into a house with a dog in the front yard waiting for your return. Um, but you know, this it, it matters whose hand it is in, how it is being shaped. And as I read Romans 12, too, what what I hear us being encouraged by Paul is that our lives as we lay them down before the Lord are going to be shaped day by day by others. If if the primary investment into our minds is the world's agenda through what we read and what we see and who we spend time with and and all that, that's that's the primary shaper of our mentality, then what will happen is we'll be squeezed into the mold of the world, and so that our thinking and our lifestyle will look a lot like that. But there's another option here. It says that we don't have to be conformed to the world, but we can place our life in the hands of the Lord who can craft us into the image of His Son, that we might be transformed. Uh, The Greek word that is used there is the word metamorphosis. It's a total change. The word transform is used elsewhere in the New Testament to talk about uh, the transfiguration of Christ. It's a total change revealing forth the glory of God. You see, just as we have the opportunity to be influenced and conformed to the world, we also have the opportunity to place our lives in the hands of God and have Him shape us into the image of His Son, that we might be transfigured and and others might be able to look into our life and see God's handiwork. This transformation happens by what what we think about why it's important to spend time reading God's Word. It's important to spend time with other believers who will challenge you that way. It's important to spend time worshiping in community like this, that as we do all of those things, as we place ourselves in those environments, that that the Holy Spirit might be at work shaping us and transforming us and transfiguring us into the image. In light of the mercy of God, the logical thing for us to do is to lay down our life before Him. And as we lay down our life before Him, we might day by day be transformed by the work of the Spirit shaping our minds as we place ourselves in His hands. And we can be a tough dog to keep on the porch. But by the grace of God, may our hearts be stirred to run back to Him. Let me pray for us, Father, thank you for this time today. And thank you for the opportunity to worship you and to look into your word. Father, I pray that we would be people that would do the logical, rational thing here and that we would lay down our lives before you. Father, that we would offer them up as a living sacrifice. Not what we want, Father, but what you want. And as we do that, as we lay down our lives before you, Father, we pray that day by day we would place ourselves in your hands that we might be shaped into the image of your Son and not conformed to the pattern of this world. Father, thank you for this opportunity to be together today. And we pray these things in Jesus' name.